Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Neal, and you're listening to The Hiker Podcast. What is up there, hikers? My name is Andy Neal. I am a new hiker. I've only been hiking for a year and a half. Maybe I'm not new anymore. Anyways, I've been only doing this for a year and a half, and six months ago, I started this podcast to get to know hikers, to find out about hikers behind their trekking poles, not just what kind of trekking poles they're using. I want to demystify hiking. I want to find out what drives people on the trail, what gets them motivated. I want to find out how the trail has changed people and how, in turn, those people who are hikers are now changing the world around them for the better. This is the Hiker Podcast. For all things Hiker Podcast, go to hikerpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all the various social media networks. Uh, I did a YouTube video uh, this week about how the trail provides. I think I better put a link for that up. But if you go to my Instagram, at Andy Films and Hikes, or at Hiker Podcast, you'll see links for that as well. Also, you can find all the different ways to listen to us, including Apple Podcasts. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and if you don't, but you have an Apple Podcast, you know, account, leave a five-star Apple Podcast review. I'm not going to harp on this too much because my Apple Podcast reviews say I harp on this too much. So I'm not going to harp on this too much. How many times can I harp on this? I don't know. Anyways, hope you all are having a fabulous middle of your November. The winter is coming. It's here. I know it's coming here in the Pacific Northwest. It's kind of here. I went hiking yesterday. There was snow up in the mountains above me. It was beautiful. But I'm not much of a winter hiker. I've never hiked in pants before until this last weekend. I hiked in shorts before. I didn't hike it up. You know what I mean. Anyways, I'm getting used to this. I'm, I'm, I've got crampons now for, for snow, and we're, we're preparing to do some snow hiking. I've never done that before. Any advice you have, I'll gladly take. Anyways, this week I am super excited to have Katie Houston on the show. Katie is a through hiker who has hiked the Appalachian and Colorado Trails, Appalachian, Appalachian, whatever you call it. We talk about that. Also, she is a van lifer now. She's a writer for The Trek. Such an amazing conversation about the trail and getting motivated on the trail and getting ready for the trail and and gear and, and all that fun stuff. It was a great conversation. So go ahead, sit back, relax, and listen to this conversation I had with writer and through hiker Katie Houston. So a lot of times with guests, I have, you know, th- things happen and this next guest has been so patient with me because last week I woke up, we were supposed to record and I literally just had no voice and I was freaking out a little bit. You know, we're in the age of COVID right now. It's like, why don't I have a voice? It doesn't hurt. I stayed home the whole day. It was fine. So we had to reschedule. And then we were supposed to schedule a time earlier this week and we had time scheduled and I, my router, I woke up my wireless router. Also in the age of COVID, something you don't want to go out on you when you have kids homeschooling, it just stopped working. So I had to run and scramble to Walmart and set up a whole new wireless system in my home. And even this morning, there was some miscommunication about the time, and I've just been so just not good getting Katie Houston here on the show, but she's been so patient with me. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So Katie... Tell people who you are, where you come from, uh, all that stuff the hikers just like to know. 
Sure. So I'm Katie Houston. Um, I'm 23 and I was born and raised in Asheville, North Carolina. And I through hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2019. And that was actually my first time being away from home and living somewhere else away from home. So that was a really big step for me. And since then, I've lived in more places than I can count. I've lived in Pennsylvania, Virginia, and I'm currently in Texas, but I also did the Colorado Trail this past summer. Very, very nice. Now, you're, you're from Asheville, North Carolina, which everyone keeps telling me. I'm in, I'm in Ash, Ashland, Oregon. Everyone keeps telling me that Asheville and Ashland are like the same town, just on different coasts. So I'm excited to actually talk to someone from Asheville because I've never been there before. What's it like in Asheville? Oh my gosh, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's the best of what the Southern Appalachians have to offer. There's a reason that so many people flock there and the population is growing. I The last I heard, it was supposed to be half a million by 2025. And when I was growing up there, it was barely over 80,000. So it's really taking off. Um, but yeah, it's Beer City USA for a couple years now. So if you like beer, it's definitely the place to go. If you like hiking and beautiful scenic mountains, it's located in a valley. So pretty much everywhere you look is just absolutely gorgeous scenery. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful for having grown up there and for my parents settling down there before I was born. It was a great place to grow up. And the way you're describing it, with the exception of the population, it sounds like Ashland. It's like Wine City, Beer City here on the West Coast, right along the Pacific Crest Trail. I keep every time I talk to someone, I'm like, oh, you know, Ashland, have you ever been to Asheville? I'm like, no, I haven't. So it's great to talk to someone from there. Uh, so you are a through hiker. You do the van life thing. You're a writer. Uh, you have dogs. So you, you, you write for the trek, which is huge. Just tell us your story, how you first got into hiking. Sure. So actually, it started when I was really young. My parents are not really outdoorsy, but they knew that I loved it. And so as a kid, they put me in this organization called TASC, the American Adventure Service Corps, T-A-A-S-C. It's a nonprofit located in Asheville. And I joined basically right as they were starting up at the age of 10. And we would have weekly meetings where we would learn how to cook different camp meals. We would learn how to splint broken arms in emergency situations. We would play lots of fun, get to know everybody games. Uh, so it was a really great place for me to meet kids outside of my school. And then once a month on the weekends, we would go on an overnight trip. And that was either, I think my first trip was to Sam's Knob, which is close to Asheville. And that was an overnight trip. And we saw some bears while we were picking blueberries. I dumped out one of my Nalgene's and filled it with blueberries and brought all of these blueberries home. And, um, you know, they teach you how to poop in the woods and they teach you about leave no trace. And I was in that program for about five years and we, we did everything. We did hiking, canoeing, spelunking. At the age of like 12, I got to spend a night in a cave, which was an incredible experience. Um, yeah, I cannot plug that organization more. They really got my interest and my confidence up at a very young age. So even though my parents weren't necessarily super into the outdoors, they recognized that at an early age in me. And I'm just really grateful for that. So you get into it, your parents see that, oh, you're, you're, you're she has something about her that, that, that the outdoors is calling her. Um, so you, you go through that program. 
what happens next? Why, why do you decide to start like really taking on hiking and, and hike the Appalachian trail or Appalachian trail? I'm not sure. I always, I'm not from the East coast. <laughs> so I say it different ways, which, which is the way you say it. I say Appalachian and I'll relentlessly make fun of my partner for saying Appalachian. I'll relentlessly make fun of anyone for saying Appalachian, but I understand it's just different. Um, Funny, I actually worked for the ATC for about a year and an internship while I was in college. And we would go to these conferences where the 32 trail maintaining clubs along the trail would come and half of the trail maintaining clubs, and they all identify with the trail like very personally, and half of them were diehard Appalachian and half of them were diehard Appalachian. And it was kind of a funny, <laughs> funny point. Um, but yeah, so... I went to UNC Asheville. I went to college in Asheville and I have a degree in environmental science. And really, I don't know what put it in my head to want to hike the Appalachian Trail. I knew I wanted to do something on my own and I wanted to do something big. I wanted to have a big adventure, a big journey. And a couple of the leaders when I was in task had yo-yoed the Appalachian Trail. And one summer we did a 10-day trip on the Appalachian Trail. There were maybe 10 of us and I got to kind of get bumped up into the older group. So that was a very cool experience for me. I was a 13-year-old with all these 16-year-olds. So um just realizing how much I really did enjoy hiking and enjoy camping, but I really did want to find myself. I know that sounds cheesy, but um, I knew I wanted to do this journey after I graduated college and I saved up the money pretty much my whole life since I started working at 15 and work for the ATC. I got that amazing opportunity as national service coordinator, um, with Olivia Acosta, who's in the North, shout out to her. But we basically got to help people. Uh, we got to recruit people to the trail maintaining clubs and got people out there on the trail to go work. And I even got to go and work on the trail myself. My dad and I did, um, on June 2nd, we worked at Max Patch with the Carolina Mountain Club and got to put in steps. And that was an incredibly uh, humbling experience because I got to work alongside all of these people that do this every week and break their backs, putting in steps. And it was just a really humbling experience. And I'm really glad that I had it because even when I was on the AT in Georgia, like right when I started, I would meet trail maintainers that I had met at conferences, uh, that I had presented to about recruiting volunteers. So I was incredibly grateful for the experience that I had with the ATC and it only furthered my motivation to get out there and, and do it after college. So you talked about trail maintenance here and that's a huge part of not just these huge through hikes, these national scenic trails, but any, any trail. And I I've run into, I've gotten to know, um, our local chapter here, the PCT, you know, Southern Oregon Rockers, shout out to you guys on the Pacific Crest Trail who I'm out there doing section hikes and day hikes in the PCT and they're just working. And they always ask me, Andy, when are you going to get out here? I'm like, soon, soon, I will. But what does trail maintenance look like? I know so many people are, are wondering like, oh, can I handle trail maintenance? So I'm going to have to, you know, get a chainsaw and start cutting things down. I've never used a chainsaw before and they're scared of it or they don't understand what it is. What is trail maintenance and why is it important? So from 
what I've talked to, to all of the trail maintaining clubs, basically they have something for everybody. The majority of what the really dedicated volunteers do is they'll do the things that people really don't want to. So they'll go out and they'll do maintenance on the privies and they'll drag mulch up into wildernesses. So there's plenty to continue to use the privies. They'll make maintenance on the shelters if they need a new shelter built or if they need further maintenance on an existing one, maybe a tree fell and knocked down a wall. Um, there's there's so many different parts of the AT that are maintain that are completely contingent on trail maintainers. They are incredibly important to maintaining the the Appalachian Trail specifically. Uh, but I know that's true of many long trails across the country. But anything from like footpaths, like footboards, um yeah, everything. <laughs> I really can't stress that enough. But there is something for everybody. So if you don't necessarily want to get your chainsaw certification and go out and make sure to take down the trees that are blocking the path, then you can work social media for a trail maintaining club and try and recruit volunteers that way to get out on the trail and do that work. That's so important. Or I know a couple, when I was working for the ATC, we had to do an asset inventory and volunteers would literally have to hike their sections of the trail. And in some cases, that's hundreds of miles and make note of every resource that is on the trail, which could go from the footboards to the privies to the shelters. And that helps secure federal funding for the Appalachian Trail. So there's really something for everybody. And there's plenty of opportunities to get involved. It is not very hard to find a trail maintaining club near you in Asheville. That was the Carolina Mountain Club and the Nantahala um, Hiking Club. And those were all very close. And um, one of my partners uh, a couple years ago, he threw hiked the AT and he just emailed the Nantahala Hiking Club and they gave him a two mile section for him to go out and maintain once a month. And he would take his weed whacker and just do general maintenance once a month by himself. And that was his contribution. So there are so many ways to get involved. Um, and just because you don't like doing the, you know, shoveling around the privy and making sure that, that that's uh, staying in good shape, it doesn't mean that there's not something for you. And it's such important work. And I, I want to shout out my local trail maintenance club here, Southern Oregon Rockers, because we had a recent crazy wildfires here that destroyed some of the towns outside of Ashland. And the local fire departments actually went to the trail club and said, we need your people who are chainsaw certified to help clear out. And so those skills carry on to other parts of life. I think it's so important for people to say, oh, you're not just going to be using these skills on the trail, but there's other things you can learn in life, which is really cool. I do want to say when we did the Carolina Mountain Club Trail Maintenance Day, my father and I, we were dragging locust logs and replacing steps on Max Patch, which is a gorgeous place in uh, North Carolina right outside of Hot Springs. And the the leader of our little team was over, I think he was 82. And oh, wow. he and he was so much more in shape than both me and my 65-year-old father, who really isn't in bad shape. And so uh, I just want to shout out to, I mean, it, it is obviously very good for the trail maintainers as well. It's hard work, but there's some really incredible results that come along with it. 
Very true. Very cool. So let's get back to the Appalachian Trail here. How did you prepare yourself for that through hike? Everyone has their things they do, whether it's just, you know, watching YouTube videos or talking to people who've done it before, or getting on Instagram. What did your preparation look like for getting on the trail? Well, my preparation was actually pretty minimal. So when I was 10, I was in that organization task. And for my Christmas that year, Santa brought me a huge pack, a huge zero degree sleeping bag. And that's what I ended up taking on the AT when I left Georgia. My pack weight was probably, I think it was 32 or 33 pounds with about four days of food. I had a bear canister. I was using iodine tablets. It was very different than my pack now and my experience now. And even what a lot of very prepared people go into the AT with the expectation of I, I didn't watch any gear reviews. I just used the stuff that I had used the past 10 years. <laughs> really, I, I had an overabundance of confidence and that didn't necessarily prove helpful. It got me on the trail for sure. But um, I definitely had some struggles finding the the right pack for me and the right gear for me because I you know, I really didn't prioritize looking into all of the different kinds of gear. Uh, I did do a shakedown hike by myself. And that was the first time that I had ever gone camping by myself alone before. And I did the Art Loeb Trail in December. And have you heard of the Art Loeb Trail in North Carolina? I have not. It's about the miles. It's pretty short. It is incredibly difficult to navigate, and I lost my map. So I got Ooh. about five miles in. I was going to take two days. It was going to be 15 miles each day. I had my car at one end and my friend drive me to the other. And I basically hiked until it got dark, which was about five o'clock. I quickly realized I wasn't going to bring a stove with me on the trail because when I made my mac and cheese and I ate my mac and cheese, it was pro it was below freezing for sure. And I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, this is not worth it. And so I, I immediately nixed bringing a stove because I just really don't like sitting in the cold and cooking. Um, but the next morning I woke up and an ice storm had come in and I couldn't take down my tent. I couldn't even unzip my fly. I had to army crawl out underneath my fly because it was all frozen shut. My poles had frozen into the into the holsters to the tent. So it took me way too long to take down the tent. And then I realized I had lost the map. So I had to basically... I hiked four miles, realized all of this terrible stuff was accumulating and just had to turn around and find my way back down to the Boy Scout camp that I had started at where the trailhead was and uh, they were having a wedding. So I showed up totally like dirty, frozen, <laughs> just <laughs> almost in tears and had to say, can I call my mom? Can somebody let me use your phone to call my mom? <laughs> and um, so really, it was a disaster, honestly, but I enjoyed it. I had so much fun. I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it was some of the most, still to this day, it was some of the most beautiful scenery I had ever seen on Black Balsam. Uh, I had reached the balds by that morning, so the ice was all over all of the the 
Yeah, everything. It was absolutely gorgeous. I wouldn't change it. But all things considered, I should not have continued with um with my Appalachian Trail journey, but I did. And I'm incredibly happy for it. But like I said, I started very ill-prepared and I got injured because of it. Um, about two and a half weeks in, I ha- I had one of my least favorite things is being cold on trail. I really hate it, which is silly because I started in February, but I was just so eager. I was just so ready to start that and I wanted to beat the bubble. So I headed out in February. I had a couple nights below zero and the sun was going down at about 5.30 or 6. So at that time, I would be in my sleeping bag asleep. And any time in between that, I was hiking. So I was making 23 to 25 mile days, which caused me to get injured pretty quickly. I, I got Achilles tendonitis right after I made it through the Smokies. And that landed me in a boot for about three weeks. So I was a little too gung-ho about it. And that showed. Um, That was my first experience with post-trail depression. I started gaining weight. I started kind of reclusing from my family and friends because they were all very happy to have me home. And I don't say that in a negative way, but when all I wanted to do was be in the woods, it really felt negative to me when all of them were just so grateful that I was safe. And my grandmother and my mom actually called the Rangers on me while I was in the Smokies because they hadn't heard from me for three days. But I had originally told them, you have to wait five. It's got to be five because you don't know what like what the cloud cover is going to be like, if my GPS is going to be working, if it's all going to be charged. So just give me five days. If you don't hear from me, then you can call. But three days in and my 87 year old grandmother who I had been living with for a couple of years uh, got very nervous. So just like the happiness that they had was almost crushing in the juxtaposition of my feelings about being taken away from my journey for so long. So you're you're on the trail within two weeks, you know, you get hurt because those are big miles to push, especially early on. And mm-hmm. it's, all, it's often said, um, others I've talked to you know, give me suggestions about through hiking. It's get your trail legs under you first. Even if you hike, you know, you might hike a 25 mile backpacking trip, but that's not the same as doing it day after day after day. So what would you say to someone who's never done a through hike before and they're, they're trying to avoid getting hurt, especially early, how should one pace themselves or get themselves to get their trail legs underneath them? So that way, when on the second half, when they get up further north, they can put those big miles in without getting hurt. Right. Really, it's just about taking it slow. I know that's almost frustrating, especially to somebody like me that's listening to this, that's incredibly excited, incredibly gung-ho and sitting around just feels like you're not doing anything, like you're standing still, but you're not. You you have to listen to your body. There were plenty of signs that I just ignored. My my ankle started flaring up a week before I had to get off trail. And it, it also caused me to get shin splints on my calves because I was trying to like overcompensate for uh, which legs I was using more. So that caused an injury in a different part of my body. So when I got back on trail three weeks later, 
I went back knowing I was going to have to go slower. I still didn't have my trail legs. I couldn't have even walked around very much when I was in the boot. So I really had to take it slow. I, I brought a book. I talked to a lot of people. I really, it was a lot warmer in mid-March. So I was able to really talk more with the community, get myself involved with a tramily, you know, all of those things that people say you should do on trail instead of just hard charging forward. It's all a part of the experience. And then when I finally met my partner, um, Nick in New York, we had both been hard charging. He had been pulling 30, 35 plus mile days until he met up with me and I had been doing at least 25s. And, uh, we really stuck to the motto smiles before miles and any time that we got frustrated or uh really just found ourselves not enjoying the experience to its fullest extent we would take a break we would go into a town get a hostel get a hotel um or just stay put just staying put in a shelter because it's pouring rain outside pouring freezing rain or there's a thunderstorm it's not shameful which i think is what i felt at the beginning of the trail it's not shameful to allow yourself to enjoy the experience in a way other than just putting on miles and hiking absolutely and you said something i think two things i think uh, i want to explore a little bit more you talked about a tramily and then you said smiles before miles and it's really tempting especially if you're new to hiking to look at everything that's online to look at some of the the hiker celebrities as, as as we call them sometimes on YouTube and on Instagram and they're putting in these huge miles they're putting in you know FKTs and so there's and other things like that and you're like oh I need to I need to put in that many miles I need to do what he's doing or she's doing and or what they're doing why in your mind is that unrealistic for a hiker to to put themselves up against people who are doing these huge miles uh, and how can one really maintain that that mantra of smiles you know smiles before miles and to hike their own hike and not worry about what so-and-so is doing on instagram or what they're doing on youtube i think a lot of that has to do with expectation um you know i i can harp on myself all i want for not listening to the gear reviews or I didn't follow any other hikers on Instagram. I didn't know anything about the trek. I didn't know anything beyond this pack and the sleeping bag that I had had for the past 10 years and enjoying the experience with my peers when I was a kid. And so bringing that to the trail, I think really was an advantage for me. I didn't have to compare my experience to anybody. I actually met this, um, this gentleman at the beginning of my hike, it was in the first three or four days. And I think we were maybe 70 miles in. And he, he was asking me all of these different questions. He said, So are you super excited for Mahusik Notch? And I was like, What is Mahusik Notch? <laughs> Which is the hardest mile on the AT. They say it's the slowest mile on the AT. It's up in, in Maine. But I, he was just rattling off all of these facts. And he was like, oh, if you don't know about X, Y, Z, there's no way you're going to make it. And he ended up quitting just a couple of days later. It's really not about how prepared you are like for, I don't know. He, he came in with all of these expectations about 
the North and about what was coming that I think he forgot to enjoy where he was. And I think that that was my advantage was I was very in the moment. I was very much so. I I love hiking. I genuinely enjoy walking for 10 to 14 hours a day. And that's not true for some people. Some people just want to hike two or three hours and that's that's their hiking repertoire. That's their hiking limit and that's okay. You just have to know your own limits and know what you enjoy and be prepared to honestly get off trail if you're not enjoying it. I know that that's not necessarily what people want to hear, but if it's not an enjoyable experience, it's not worth doing. You have to be out there because you want to be out there and not because you're making yourself do this adventure for X, Y, and Z because you saw someone else do it and it looks like fun, you know? That brings up something else I wanted to explore. What the person you just described to me um, on the trail sounded like they were doing something that I, I know I've struggled with in the past. That's mansplaining. They used to say, <laughs> oh, you need to do this, that, this, and that. You're a woman on the trail. You're going out there. You're starting out by yourself. How can someone, you know, like me, straight white male, you know, help someone who is of another gender or or background or race without, you know, I don't want to say be condescending, but just realize, hey, you know, you have privilege that others don't and you don't need to be buttoned in there or or giving your two cents when you don't need it. Just speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I I definitely experienced this before, during and after being on trail. I actually had one of my best friend's parents tell me she he asked if I had a gun, if I was bringing a gun. And I said, <laughs> no, like I'm not, I'm not bringing a gun. I, I don't feel comfortable handling a firearm. I've never owned one. I've never handled one that seems excessive for me. And he said, well, that's stupid. I was like, well, <laughs> okay. All right. You know, you take, you just take it with a grain of salt because you, you I mean, I trust myself enough to know my comfort levels and the security of the trail. I trust the trail and the community out there to kind of watch out for me. And I think that's the attitude that people should stick with is, is what I'm saying being supportive or is what I'm saying hmm, like too much, I don't know, advice is the word I want to say, but I don't want it to sound like you can't suggest things to people. But to an extent, like unless they're asking, don't. <laughs> unless somebody is explicitly asking you to help them with something, um, I I would say stay away from putting in your your two cents. Or if if you see that they're struggling, there's there's a difference between support and telling them what you you think is the best way because you know it might just take them a second to figure out what they're working through or they might already know exactly what they're working through and what they're working with. And it it could definitely come across as as that mansplaining concept. Um, there was one other experience I had in the Shenandoahs. There was an unfortunate incident where two women were murdered decade, a couple decades ago, I think. And I was in the Shenandoahs and a ranger approached me and he was so sweet. He gave me cotton candy and like powdered donuts, which are 
a, you know, a through hikers dream. And as we were talking, he said, do you have a gun? Again, that same question. And I said, no, I don't have a gun. I think it's illegal for me to have one in a national park anyways. And, um, he said, oh, well, you really need to consider having a gun. And it's just like, I, you understand where they're coming from. But at the same time, you wouldn't ask my brother, who's a couple years older than me, that same question. It doesn't, it, you know, the 21-year-old female solo hiker, everyone is just concerned more than supportive. I think that's, I think that's the difference. It makes sense. And that gun question keeps coming up, even with me. I, I carry bear spray just because I'm scared of bears. And I had someone a few weeks ago. I was like, why are you carrying bear spray? I'm like, well, because, you know, there are, there are wild animals up here. It's like, if you carried a gun, you wouldn't have to worry about that. And I'm like, I'm not carrying a firearm. I'm hiking with children. Not happening. Mm-hmm. I don't own a gun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my partner actually just... um somebody suggested something on a Facebook forum and he looked it up and it's a sound grenade and it's, it's like half an ounce, which is incredible. And you just push a button and it releases a tone at a certain amount of decibels that makes wild animals run away from you. And it's incredibly effective. It's relatively inexpensive. And I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me, but it's, it's a sound grenade, which I'm going to be bringing on all of my other hikes um, because I, I had a bear canister on the AT. So I was never really worried about wild animals. I also stayed in the shelters a lot. So it was just never really a huge concern for me. And people say, Oh, what about the creepy people? It's like, honestly, I am in much more danger walking around at 9 PM in Asheville downtown than I am <laughs> the Appalachian trail. Uh, and, and people do really mean well, but it's just like exactly. hike my own hike. Let me do my thing. So as you're hiking on the Appalachian Trail, at what point did you, I mean, you already love the outdoors. You loved hiking. But what point did you really want to put your life into this to where you're doing other long trails and you're riding for the trek and you're, you're, you're just kind of making this your life? Was there a point or was it just a, a process over time? You know, it really took a while. I I had a really bad bout with food poisoning right after I got back on the trail from my injury. I almost quit. I right outside of Daleville, right before the Shenandoahs, which actually happened to be my favorite part of the trail. So I got my strength back through the Shenandoahs and that momentum continued when I met my current partner Nick in New York. And hiking with him was incredible and we finished and then I went back to Asheville he went back to his home in Pittsburgh and I realized I definitely still wanted to live this crazy life and Nick has had all of these ideas he said we can get a motor home we can travel we could live at this beautiful hostel woods hole we could build a school bus we could do another long trail we could make a life out of this and I was like, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it um it really didn't seem feasible. It sounded like big dreams, but here I sit, you know, a year and a half later and all of these things were attainable and it just wasn't I always planned on after I hiked the AT getting a career, sticking with my career. I am a workaholic, so I work Currently, my job, I work and sell 
wholesale gems and minerals. So I travel about three months out of the year is what it averages out to. I travel the country and sell rocks and minerals at gem shows. And because of COVID the last year, I haven't really been able to, but those are 80 hour weeks roughly for sometimes up to six weeks at a time. And I realized with this job that I currently have, I could do more long trails. And I didn't get bit by the through hiking bug, you know, until after I finished the AT and after I was off of it and I had running water and a toilet and all of, and a car and all of those things that I had been missing for about a month and a half. And then it started clicking in my head. Okay. I do want to see what, what this guy has to say and what these plans are. And, um, doing the Colorado trail this last summer really proved to me how much I love this and how much I enjoy pushing my limits. I, I was, I've always been very obsessed with my own personal happiness and I don't mean to sound selfish or conceited or anything, but if I'm not happy doing something, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go find something else. So you know, if I was on the AT and I had been miserable more than a couple of days with that food poisoning, I might have just gotten off and maybe I would have gone back. But I'm I'm glad that I pushed through that. But on the Colorado Trail, I really realized that pushing my limits and hiking past six o'clock and pushing 14 hour days and trying to see the mileage that I could do and push my body, I realized I really enjoy that. And on top of that, I really enjoy writing. And it seems like people enjoy listening to me talk and reading the things that I I write. And I'm very grateful to have so many different platforms that are showing my work. Like I, I wrote an article for Garage Grown Gear and Hiker Hunger. I have one coming out next week on Hiker Hunger. Um, and then, yeah, writing for the Trek. I'm also the social media intern for the Trek. So I've been making the Instagram posts for the uh, Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail Instagrams for the past couple months. And it's just getting me deeper into the community. So like what I missed out on when I first started the AT, I'm now realizing is incredibly central to my happiness. Like I'm really, really enjoying making all of these different connections, especially in COVID times and quarantine, where I don't necessarily get to make connections with people like I used to. I'm a, I'm a social dancer. So I danced six days a week on top of college and work and everything when I was in school. Um, but I don't get to do that anymore, but really throwing myself into the outdoor industry is helping me kind of connect to more people with similar interests, uh, get ideas for the different things that I want to do and set goals for myself. And yeah, basically just figure out how to push my limits in a healthy way. That's awesome. Now you talked about working for like garage grown gear and things like that. The outdoor industry is, is definitely changing right now. In what ways does it need to continue to change? Cause it's really, it's tempting right now to go and just go to REI and get your stuff. And nothing wrong with REI. I think REI is doing some great stuff. But at the same time, we want to support local brands and other things. How can someone who's getting into hiking both support, get what they need and support local, you know, industries 
within the outdoor industry, local um, vendors and things like that? Yeah, I mean, it's easier than you think in the outdoor industry. I'm really proud of the industry that I'm in and the work that a lot of these brands are doing. Uh, Garage Grown Gear features like cottage companies, like very small businesses. And a lot of the companies that you see popping up come from hikers that see a need in their pack and want to improve it. And so I carry a light AF pack now, which is a relatively new uh, ultralight pack. I got it like in the last year, I think is when I got it. But you know, it's just people that are hikers and want to improve their own brand or improve their own setup. And they find these innovative ways uh, and creative ways to fill a need in the hiking community that we didn't even necessarily know existed. Um, the Trek does a lot of coverage on small brands and gear reviews. So that's a good way to keep an eye out for like the latest in, uh, in, you know, gear. I'm not necessarily a gear nerd. I don't know if I would classify, classify myself as a gear nerd, but I do think it's very important to try and seek out smaller startups and, brands that are that align with your own values. A part of what I really enjoy about working for the Trek is they have so many inclusive articles that focus on topics that are important, like racial equity in the outdoors, indigenous peoples, um, climate change, how climate change affects through hiking. All of these topics are things that you wouldn't necessarily think about when you're starting a through hike but you should <laughs> and they are incredibly important to our community so i'm i'm really happy to work for a brand that has values that align so closely with mine that's awesome so closing out here i just i like asking everybody this how has hiking changed you it gave me everything I have today. I mean, I say that, but my my two dogs, one of them is named Through, and we got her on the trail in Virginia. A man was hiking with three huskies and he said, Yeah, I just I just can't take care of all three of them anymore. You want her? And he gave us a leash and a hunk of cheese and maybe like two servings of dog food. And she was our dog. And we walked down the trail in the other direction. Um, I met my current partner, Nick, in New York. We both went out with, you know, our, um, our journeys individually. We apparently met in, <laughs> we apparently met uh, at Fontana Dam right outside of the Smokies. And he said, I brought in a large pizza and a six pack of beer and I crushed all of it and then fell asleep, um, which is hilarious. <laughs> but <laughs> And then we met again in New York and have kind of been together ever since. Um, and now I live in a vintage motor home and I'm building a school bus into a tiny home and I'm, I am happier than I've ever been. And 
I, I love this, this life that I currently have, but also knowing that I have all of these other trails coming up. I'm planning on doing the Lone Star Trail in January. I'm planning on doing the Great Western Loop, which is 6,800 miles um, and includes the PCT, the PNT, the CDT, the Arizona Trail, and the Enchantment Trail. Um, I plan on doing that in 2022. And it's, it's just making it... I thought I was confident in myself and I knew who I was kind of before I started the trail. Like I knew I had an abundance of confidence and uh, I, I really do value my personal happiness. I just never expected it to last beyond the trail. Like I never expected this uh, crazy amount of personal fulfillment to continue on beyond that five or six months but it has really propelled me to places that I never saw myself. Like I never saw myself being a freelance writer in the outdoor industry or working for these incredible brands and being on podcasts like yours that I really respect. And I love listening to your guests and it's, um, it's just completely changed my life. I, I really don't know what to say beyond that. Like it's been incredible for my mental health. Um, Yeah all of that <laughs> the trail truly does provide um i i'm learning that every day whether it's day hiking through hiking backpacking or a combination of all of them the trail has provided so much for me and everybody i talk to says the trail has provided whether whatever it is they need it is provided it's been so amazing on my own journey to hear other people talk about that and know what i have to look forward to mm -hmm. uh, real quick though i like to ask every through hiker what's your trail name and how'd you get it Oh my gosh. Well, so I lived with my grandma in the year or two before I did the Appalachian Trail. It was just the two of us and I love her. She's, I consider her one of my best friends. She's 87 and I, every morning before I went to work, I would eat a bowl of oatmeal and a carnations instant breakfast. And that was always my meal. It was the, and she would always make sure that I had oatmeal stocked up in the pantry and she would always go to Aldi and get me my oatmeal. And when I did the trail, she had slipped in a whole Ziploc bag of just dry oatmeal that I love, except I didn't have a stove. So... <laughs> my first night on Springer Mountain I got into the shelter it was dark by the time I got there because I got a late start but I did the approach trail got into the shelter there were like four guys maybe a little older than me all huddled up in their sleeping bags because it's you know 15 degrees and I just pull out my bag of oats and I stick my spoon in and I start eating it just straight and dry and one of them goes no way there's no way we're watching this right now and i'm oats from that so uh i i love the trail name uh i always sign trail logs with a little smiley face the o and i've met one other oats but it doesn't matter because we can all share but <laughs> yeah that's my trail name <laughs> That is awesome. Katie, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people follow you, read your stuff, all that fun stuff? Thank you for having me. Um, my Instagram is Moss Petal, and I'm not going to tell you where that originated from. I was a kid, and it's a silly name, but I'm I'm at Moss Petal on Instagram. I'm Katie Houston on Facebook. Send me a message so I know to accept your friend request. And my website is thethroughcrew.com. 
through is thrucrew.com. And I post stuff about um, the bus is upcoming on the website. I post gear reviews and for, for gear that I love and really swear by. And there's, inf- there's beautiful pictures of our dogs and all of the national parks that we've gone to. And I blogged my most recent hike on the Colorado Trail. So all of that is up there. My gear lists, all that good stuff. Awesome. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the Hiker Podcast. Thank you for having me, Andy. It was a great conversation. Hey, guys, thanks so much for listening the whole way through. Make sure you follow Katie Oaks Houston on all the various social media networks. That's Katie Oates. I think it said Oaks. Oates. Katie Oates Houston. You heard the story there about her trail name. Make sure you follow her on all the various social media networks. Uh, go to her website as well. Yeah, the throughcrew.com. Amazing stuff there. Uh, she's just cool. And she contacted me after a podcast a few weeks ago, and we've been talking. And like I said before, so many different things kept happening where the interview couldn't happen, but I'm glad I was finally able to work it out to have her on the show. Like I've said before, go to hikerpodcast.com for the latest in what's going on. All the old episodes are there. You can listen to it straight from the website, or you can click on any of the links that have the different podcast providers like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, where you can leave an Apple Podcast review. I greatly appreciate that. Also, if you have any ideas for guests for show or just want to leave a nice little note, email me, Andy at hikerpodcast.com. I keep doing that. I know. But I do want to take a moment here and thank all of you for listening. Uh, we're getting ready to end season one here, middle of November. We're, or we're in the middle of November and middle of December. We're going to take a break into the first week of January and then we'll start season two. Things will be a little different as far as we'll bring back some old guests. We'll continue to meet new guests. We'll do some more storytelling podcasts, some different things planned. Also, I'm going to just announce it because I've been encouraged to do it. And I'm, I'm only doing this because... I want to spend as much time on this show and, and, and getting out amazing content to you guys as possible. I am starting a Patreon that will be launched in the middle of January. Now, this is something, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's basically a platform where creators put their stuff up and say, if you'd like to support what I'm doing, no obligation, no pressure, pledge a dollar, two dollars, however much, and you'll get early access to podcasts. You can get stickers. And when we have new merch, you'll be the you'll be getting it. Uh, chats with me on, on different platforms like Discord and things like that. Um, when I release videos, I'm releasing videos now. I'm doing videos. I can't believe this. Uh, my first video is out on YouTube and my Instagram. So check that out. Well, those will be released first. We'll do chats, other things. I've never done this successfully before. Uh, other podcasts I've done Patreons before, and it may not work. And that's why I didn't start it back in July when I started this podcast, July 1. But I've been encouraged by so many people to, to just do it. And I, there's been such an amazing response to the Hiker Podcast that I'm going to be doing it. So just know um, the podcast will always be free. And if you are in a position where you're saving for a through hike and you don't have a whole lot of money or you're going through, don't, don't worry about it. I'm not going to pressure you. I'll just, every episode mentioned, hey, if you want to support me on Patreon, go to hikerpodcast.com. You'll see the link. That's all I'm going to do. No pressure there. There'll be some extra perks, but nothing huge. Just a way to support me so I can spend more time on this, getting more guests and doing more videos and other things. Yeah. So I just wanted to put that out there now to all you guys. Um, 
I hope that's okay. I really do. Anyways, go to hikerpodcast.com for the latest. With that, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Hiker Podcast.